Hey, well, let's get down to business. We got Rohan uh, with Opalink. What hey, up, man? What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Uh, I would say you're welcome, but uh, I think you were going to be here regardless uh, based on the fun last night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but hey, let's let's start with uh, sharing a little bit about what Opalink is. Yeah, so basically Opa is a mobile app that allows you to send drinks or food items to your friends without physically being present at a restaurant. So perfect example, I could be in Orlando and you can have your friends going out in New York City and I can send them a bottle of wine, maybe a couple apps while they're at dinner. So food uh, as well? Food as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Food and drinks. You started that up, but before we even dive into a little bit more of Opalink, uh, I love to ask the first question is going to be, what was your dream job as a child? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think my dream job growing up as a child was to be um, a spy. You oh, know, I, I grew yeah. up watching James Bond movies and I would literally wear a suit all the time, like, you know, jump around the house and pretend that I was a spy, act like I have a different disguise <laughs> all the time, speak with a British accent here, accent here and there, you know, so. Finish, finish the rest of what you're going to say uh, with the British, <laughs> British accent. Oh, man, it's been too long, but, you know, like, uh, no, we'll, we won't go there. <laughs> uh, we got to do it. Just say, I found you, you can't hide any longer. Oh, man, I, I don't even want to embarrass myself and try. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll but and how long did that that spy uh, dream go until? Hmm. So it it didn't go until um, you know that, that dream. It probably lasted until until second grade. I believe I was in a life skills class and in second grade. In second grade, we were in a life skills class, and it was kind of like The Sims, right? And in this class. Um, Basically, you had to create a character, go through life, and make decisions, right? Throughout, you're going to high school, you're going to college, and you're making decisions. This was in New York, actually. Yeah, public school in New York City. Hearing this, I'm like, damn, Florida's education system really is pretty bad. Yeah. Because I don't think I ever had that class ever in any of my school. Yeah, it was called Life Skills. And we basically, it was just a simulated class, kind of like Sims where you're making decisions, um, you're actually like doing courses, you're doing math, you're reading and stuff, but then you're getting to the point where you have to make core decisions. You know, it's asking you questions like, do you want to go partying or, you know, to be popular or do you want to, you know, spend some more time studying? And I'm taking this in second grade. And I remember when it got to the point of choosing your career path, right? I basically looked at what career path had the highest hour. And I remember it said CEO was making like $100 an hour. And I was like, from that point on, I was like, I want that. Oh, wow. So, okay. Damn. Yeah. So this is how you got into tech because I think just your background in school and having something like that in second grade. Mm-hmm. Now I know why I'm not in, in tech, the tech field <laughs> at all. I started way behind you. Yeah. Well, I don't think it was necessarily tech at the po- at that time because – um, I think I just wanted to more so do something around business. Like I, I had two parents that immigrated to New York City um, from British Guyana in South America. 
My and parents actually immigrated to New York, yeah? also from Cuba. Nice. What part of New York? Uh, one was in the Bronx. The other was in uh, Rochester. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it's very funny nice. how they both went to New York first and then mm-hmm. Florida. It's like the dream, you know, being an immigrant. That's kind of what you think about of, of America, you, you know, Statue of Liberty. That's why you go around, like if you go around the world, they'll literally say, if they have pizza, it says New York's pizza. You know, like everything is based off of New York City in, in some sense, like the immigrant dream. So my parents um, ba- basically moved to New York. They really didn't have anything. My mom's story is actually really inspirational because she grew up in Guyana, which was a very patriarch. You know, it was more so like women had to stay at home and take care of the household. And, you know, she came to the point when she was in her 20s. Uh, she had a decision if she wanted to get in an arranged marriage or she wanted to go to school. And, you know, she had the dream of always living in the United States and going to America and get an education and get in a career. And she made the decision. She was like, you know, her parents were pretty, you know, well off in her her country. But she made the decision, like, I want to move to the more. States. I want more than this. So she moved to the States and like her story is like truly inspirational because she told me she was working like three jobs while going to school. And she told me that, you know, she used to get like a Big Mac. It was on sale, not a Big Mac, a Whopper at Burger King. And it would be on sale, I think on like Mondays or something like that. And she would, it was like 75 cents or a dollar. And she, you know, she was, she was a, she would, take this whopper and split it in four pieces for four meals for or? four meals wow for, like i kid you not like I, the, she told me this story and i was like are you serious and she was like yeah and like in and you know like i was like what about your other meals she was like in the morning i would have coffee and toast and then in lunchtime i would have like a you know just a small like salad or something and then dinner was that Good. and you know like that was what she lived on and when she first moved to this country. How old was she then? She was in her 20s. So what's, what's awesome is I haven't had anyone on that has one layer deeper in that, you know, immigration with the parents as well. And uh, a lot of my motivation came from my mom uh, coming to the U.S. She came a little earlier, uh, but, uh, I mean, she came from a country where she actually was sent on to the other side of the island in Cuba just because they knew that, they were planning on leaving so she was like punished to actually like go work and this is when she was like eight years old um, wow she was essentially having to clean the toilets do all like the janitor dirty work that we would think is you know the, a tough job here and that was what she had to do at wow. that age uh, and then leaving you know her dad my grandpa had two different businesses that were actually taken from Fidel, uh, wow. yeah, uh, had one taken away, started the other one taken away. And I think that was deep down kind of my motivation, even when I was little, that I want to be able to uh, build something that I knew couldn't be taken away because that's something that, you know, here we're allowed to have that opportunity to do so. Uh, and I saw in my mom every time I was talking about business at all, you can see her like have this sense of like, Oh, like this fuck yeah like mm-hmm. that's my son being able to have this big dream and actually he has the ability to follow through and be able to go through with it uh, and this is kind of where this podcast even like kind of stemmed from 
Um, my mom passed away in January. Wow. Um, so I, I had a lot of time to just say, well, hey, you know, um, how do I unite? Like I have my business, but I want to do even more and like connect all these businesses and, and in essence, try to help all of them um, because that's something that my ancestors were never able to do. Wow. And it's kind of cool having your mom going through what she did, um, taking those, you know, those risks or those chances that really no one in the U.S. probably has to have a decision like that in a moment. And that's something that maybe gets instilled to us or uh, I don't know if we learned that at a young age or if it's like a DNA thing. Um, but it's kind of cool ha- having you on with the same or a similar story. Yeah, man. And, you know, sorry to hear what happened to your mom, but I'm sure she's kind of like looking down at you and very proud of what you're doing. And I think what you're doing here is kind of you're giving a voice to a lot of people. You don't get to hear when they're in that growing steps of starting a business. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone hears about established businesses and then people have podcasts with established entrepreneurs and then they're just kind of retrospectively looking back right? yeah they're not in that they're, moment they're anymore. not in that moment they're not in the trenches right and um and they're usually so far removed too because it's usually it's the ones with big names that have had big names so they're years out of even remembering those mm-hmm. days uh, and well those years probably yeah it's, it's like you know they miss certain aspects of the business like you know i'm sure your mom had so many other stories to mm-hmm. tell you but it was you know back then they didn't have the kind of technology if you think about podcasts too podcasts really didn't become a big thing until what five years ago six yeah, not even I mean, four years i think a lot of us forget the first iphone only came out in 2007 yep so that's not that long ago exactly and i think um what was it app uh, apple that kind of created the, the entire podcast game and it you know before that it was just mainly just youtube radio shows but now podcasts are the name of the game yeah, and it's i booming now mm-hmm, of course and you know as an entrepreneur, like I love, I love the way how you approached me because um, that's what I'm doing right now, right? Like you know, the whole goal is for one day for you to be trending on Spotify or Apple, and like you oh, know, yeah. the one day for me is to have millions of people using our application. But people wouldn't be able to do that unless they take a chance on you. Yeah. Right? And that's why I never turned down opportunities like this. And I think, you know, what you're doing is truly inspirational. And like I said, your mom is definitely probably very proud of you, man, because you're giving people that voice. Damn. Thanks. Thanks, man. That's uh, those are words that I wouldn't have expected on mm-hmm. to ever get really, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, Podcasts, the reason why people love them so much is because they're so real Mm -hmm. right you have so many other social platforms out there or like you know uh video streaming platforms it's not truly authentic because there's a lot of editing there's a lot of things that go pre-planning that goes behind the scene and like i said like for me i think when i did my first podcast um I didn't do as much planning as like writing things down and this and that, <laughs> but I was, I was nervous, right? And I didn't treat it – well, everyone thought I was natural on camera, but for me, I was a little nervous and I felt like I was robotic. You were like sitting crying in the yeah, corner inside. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also um, – he was located in Seattle 
and I think it being over video, you know, wasn't as real as like you and I putting a face to each other, yeah. you know, like in person. Right? That's why and, I don't think I'm, I'm going to, I don't want to do any episodes over video. No, I think man. it loses what I want out of this. And mm-hmm. I want, I don't want any questions pre-planned. I want this like as real as it gets. Yep. And you kind of see that with podcasts with these athletes now mm-hmm. where even when we see them during their you know, events, their interviews, you still only kind of know just a small piece of who these people are. And then you hear these athletes starting podcasts and you're like, holy shit, they have, they're real. They yep. have a personality just like us. Mm-hmm. They, they like the same shit we like. Yep. Uh, and it, it almost makes me like those players even more once you get to know them. So kind of with the business side, hey, if you understand what that business went through to even get to that moment where you're shopping or using their app, uh, or anything like that, it makes you appreciate it even more. And I think it'll build a connection that's uh, more authentic with the, their own, you know, clients or customers, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, the trend is becoming more real, right? So, like, you know, during these press interviews, a lot of these NBA players, they used to look, or even football players or athletes in general, they used to be looked down upon when they were, you know, they when they would curse during a interview or post game session, but now people just want that real authentic personality. You know, and I think it's more so the generation, right? Like I think millennials, Gen Zs, we're more so, hey, we're gonna get the same amount of work done, but it's not gonna be the traditional standard way. It's gonna be more authentic, right? And I felt like you know, going back to my career and my professional aspect, I felt like, you know, when I was going into the office, I was working at a tech firm, but people in finance, they weren't embracing that tech culture, right? They were wearing their suits still, they were wearing ties, and, you know, like, you can actually see it in in my professional headshot, I've got a suit, a tie on, and people were like, this is not your personality, right? It's not you. It's not real. Right? It's like a, it's like a, a fit, like a superhero mm-hmm. that just has to put on their costume. Oh yeah, and you know, like I, I couldn't be honest. Like when I first started, you know, they would immediately assume, oh, college kid, he graduated, he likes partying, he likes doing all of this, he likes, you know, going out. So they would ask questions immediately, just assuming, right? Like this is where the assumptions get. Like, hey, he graduated. Oh, he's probably going out partying. So I actually, when I first graduated, I wanted to eliminate that persona. So, you know, we're all young. Everyone goes out. Everyone has a good time. Everyone's social and stuff. And when I first started, I was living in South Florida. And <laughs> I, I, I literally went cold turkey for like three months, not drinking, just focused on the gym, focused on my career. I wanted to create this persona of a person that's a young professional striving in finance right and i just felt it wasn't me right and i did that up until i didn't realize this up until 2020 and i know a lot of people could probably agree with this 2020 came around covid hit and i've never felt the most real and creative just getting away from the corporate structure and that's kind of where all the the juices were flowing and you know in some sense that's where opa was formed right like so do you think sounds weird to say but do you think opa almost needed 
COVID to kind of, or something dramatic like that to maybe hit to actually just play out exactly the way it did? You know, honestly, in some sense, yeah, because what it did, it started a lot of trends. Technology became so important to Mm -hmm. not just the standard industries of, you know, phones and, um, and computers, right? And more so impacted industries like the restaurant industry, you know, like if you weren't embracing technology in some sense during 2020, you weren't coming out of 2020 or 21, you were closing the door, your favorite Chinese restaurants, your favorite coffee shops, they were all closing left, right and center. And the reason why is because a lot of these people, they didn't shift or they didn't adapt adapt or change their business model to embrace new technologies like such as, you know, food delivery apps, online ordering, uh, contactless ordering, um, you know, having reservations set up, um, kiosk. You know, these are all types of new technology that the restaurant industry wasn't embracing. If you think about it. Right. If you think about, do you think it almost the restaurants almost did it, didn't ever need it, and then the pandemic alone was eye opening or awoken them that hey, everyone else is already starting to move to this technology based uh, way of living, and the restaurants were just never really had a reason to ever uh, prepare for that or uh, adapt to it, and then this thing hit, and then boom, they were already too late. I think you hit it spot on. I think. You know, the restaurant owners, it was more so to them like a nice to have, right? And the reason why it was a luxury. And I think it was a luxury because a lot of these operators, right, it's fight or flight with them. They're looking at bottom line. Their margins are so thin. So Mm -hmm. them thinking, man, I got to add this technology that they're going to be taking percentage of my revenue or I have to pay a subscription for a reservation system. That's going to be eating away at my margins. You know, these operators, they were doing whatever it could, especially small business owners, right? Like mom and pop shops. They, yeah. they really can't afford all this subscription. And, you know, they've got to pay. They got to worry about paying their employees and they got to worry about supply chain issues. But, you know, COVID hit and it just showed like who was actually embracing technology, who was willing to change their entire landscape and their tech stack to adapt. It's a it's, it's crazy to, I mean, I guess that's business in general though, right? You almost have to go through the bad to figure out what's really good or what's really uh, happening in society that you have to adapt or pivot to get the business going because no business is going to be successful without doing something the people want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have something like a pandemic hit where – the people need a specific way of things to work. And if you're, if you're not there, then they can't, they won't even look at you. Yeah, no. And you know, in, in some sense, a lot, these Uber Eats, DoorDash, all of these apps, these food delivery apps, they did a really good job of helping restaurants stay alive during the pandemic. Now the downside of those food delivery apps is, you know, yes, they're bringing the experience of the restaurant to your home on premises, right? Um, however, they come with a heavy toll, right? 
Yep. These food delivery apps, um, they're taking anywhere from you know thirty to forty percent margin, right? Or now they're taking I think forty to fifty. I was gonna it say up, I think I've heard of a right? couple at like forty five. Yeah. So basically, in, in you know in layman's term, you know they're basically like you spend a dollar at McDonald's, right? And the food delivery applications. They're taken automatically out the door, forty cents. Mm-hmm. And that's not even on top of the fees. That are that's stacked. not even top of the fees, and that's not even, you know, that's not even in taken into consideration how much you're spending on the food there. So a lot of people have this misconception that restaurant owners are the ones, or they're t- thinking that Uber Eats and DoorDash are the ones that are increasing the prices on the no. the platforms but it's actually the restaurants that yeah. set the prices and they have to increase it just right? to be able to s- sustain the business just and stay to alive be able to sustain the business but um a lot of them are finding like hey our sales are increasing but our bottom line is diminishing mm-hmm. and we're working harder and it's adding more op like you know it's adding more um I guess operational costs on their business. Now, you know, on the flip side of that, that's where kind of Opalink has its distinct advantage, right? We're bringing new technology that is not looking to more so take away from the off-premises experience, but we're providing a tool that allows restaurant owners to promote on-premises experiences, while also taking majority of the sale. So, you know, we're charging only 6% on the bottom line. So 6% commission as opposed to DoorDash, Uber Eats, they're charging, you know, 30 to 40 or 40 to 50, right? And um, how we're promoting this on-premises experience is, let's say if I gift you something, um, you're not at the restaurant, but... I wanted to just gift you. You're a good friend of mine. I wanted to gift you a cocktail at the Robinson in oh, Orlando. Yeah. I'll take it. Right? And I gift you that. You have the ability to go in and redeem that uh, cocktail now, or you could redeem it later. So let's say whenever you redeem it, it's one cocktail I gifted you that. There's probably a high chance that you're going to order, you know, a wrap to go with that cocktail or another cocktail yeah you know and with opa we're actually promoting that on-premises experience as opposed to these food delivery apps they're promoting the off experience off-premises experiences now food delivery is not going anywhere but in some sense it's taken so much from the restaurant owners it's taken away so much of their bottom line and we're trying to put that cash back in to restaurant operators and we're trying to help them think about new creative ways on how you can actually capture the attention of Gen Z's and millennials in a fun social way. And that's gifting their friends and family members food and drinks. Um, something that, so right now that we're going to be releasing, uh, you know, in the upcoming weeks, uh, the feature is it's going to be gifting to a friend. So that means that your friend can be in any city, any location, and we can gift them, you can gift them items at our restaurant partners wherever they're located, right? So 
I can gift you a bottle of wine. I can gift you burgers. I can gift you French fries. I can gift you sushi at your favorite sushi spot. But later on, we're going to actually be releasing a cool feature that would be perfect, you know, setting at the Robinson or Aloha or at your local lounge where you can actually gift a stranger that also has the application. So like a location-based? Yeah, so it's going to be location-based. So there's, there's a feature on our app where you can check into restaurants and let your friends know that you've checked in and it populates on a social timeline. Think about like Venmo, right? How there's yeah. a social timeline. All of the transactions are tracked on this social timeline, right? So every time you check into a restaurant, your friends get a push notification that Pete, you know, you just checked in at the Robinson in Orlando and they can like, comment, and gift. Oh, wow. So once they click that gift button, it opens up the restaurant's menu and you can go ahead and choose items, right? So at OPA, we're really focused on gifting, right? Facebook, they created the like button. Instagram created the heart button. And we really want to own that gift button, right? That interaction. That interaction, right? And if you think about it, there's actually no application out there that has social and food together. The most socially thing that you can do is eat and dine. Whenever I meet someone new, I'm like, hey, let's grab a coffee. Let's grab some dinner. You know, let's grab lunch. But there's actually no social application that's dedicated to food right you have instagram where people post their stories about food but there's no aspect of sharing food with someone on us on an application and you know nowadays uh people experience that girls going on bachelorette parties asking their friends hey venmo cash cash out for the bachelorette or my birthday exactly but how do you actually know that that, that, that person being used for what you you would think or want to give to them. It could go to anything, which ha- doesn't have as much meaning. Exactly. There's no emotional connection to that, right? On That's top like of that, gift cards on your birthday. Exactly. That's, doesn't mean much. <laughs> now, if I'm putting some thought into, hey, I want to gift you a bottle of wine, or you're going out to the club, let me buy you a bottle, or you're going out to dinner, let me purchase you. You you know, I know that you like a specific role at, you know, your local sushi spot. And there's emotional connection to it, along with we're going to be adding an aspect where you can add a personalized message and then kind of like a 10-second video as well. So to go along with that gift. So like an actual little, uh, not just a gift, but also the presentation of the gift and some writing or something to make it even more personal. Mm Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah. And then, you know, with our application, we wanted to focus on the social aspect to it because, you know, I've been doing a lot of time these past two months start like studying the networking effect. Right. And what the networking effect really means is like every business in some sense especially technology companies like you know for example podcasts right it has a networking effect the more you post the more viewers you have Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. the more now you're going to have entrepreneurs actually approaching you like, hey, how do I get on your podcast? Right. Because you have that network in effect um, actually built into your business, your business model. And with Opa, you know, my brother, Teddy, he's uh, my other co-founder. Shout out, Uh, Teddy. Shout out to Teddy. (laughs) So Teddy actually came up with um, the idea of Opa. And it started in 2020. Uh, One month. uh, It was May. And we actually... Is that when the idea also started or... Oh, no. So the idea started in May. Okay. And then the business, we started ramping up in August. So of May, 2020. So that's like right when everyone started realizing that it's not really this, oh, it'll be here for a few weeks and be gone. This is, hey, buckle up. This might be a while. Yeah. Okay. So here's what happened. I was living in South Florida. My brothers, they were living in New York City. And my grandma was very sick. Um, and we moved back to Orlando, where our parents are from, you know, during that time, because we were all remote. And, you know, to kind of be with my mom and um, my brother, uh, we all decided to, it was, I remember this, it was a Sunday fun day in Orlando and we were like, everywhere is locked down except for Orlando, COVID didn't exist here or something. And we all decided to go out. It's that Disney World bubble that protects us. Yes. And we all decided to go out and, you know, our mutual friend, Kat Plesha, she was actually with me. And we all decided to go out and um, everyone caught COVID. Oh, no. Right. We all got COVID. And my brothers and I were living at my parents' house. And we were like, guys, we cannot stay here. So... Luckily, I literally just closed on my house in Winter Park. I bought a townhome for my, it was my first investment. And I just closed on on this house and I was like, "Hey guys, we can live in my townhome." But in this townhome, there was no refrigerator. There was no laundry, there was no washer dryer, there was none of oh, that, so right? Like it was a straight naked tent. We had home. nothing. So what we did was we grabbed um, two blow-up mattresses. We grabbed a TV, an Xbox, our laptop, our monitors, and cl- like a couple clothes, right? And, and a couple pillows and blankets, and we just dipped out, right? Because we, we didn't know how viral, how to contain COVID. My dad's diabetic, so we were like, he's prone to, you know, different like you know covid will affect him differently and we just moved into this townhome together right and this is why i was saying like i think my creativity kind of sparked back because when we were kids we were always so creative Mm -hmm. right we were always so imaginative and i haven't lived with my brothers in like probably since uh, high school right and we're now finally back under the same roof. Feels like a kid again. Feels like a kid. We were playing basketball in the evenings. We were playing video games. And it's like a summer camp for adults. <laughs> exactly, man. And we were all working remote like during the daytime. So, uh, what, Ted, what were you doing then for work? Um, I was working at Citrix okay. as well. Yeah, I was doing uh, finance at Citrix. And so I have to make the announcement. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. So you quit officially today was your last day with them. Today was my last day. I actually put my uh, 
two weeks in, three weeks ago, but they asked me to stay extra week, and I was nice enough. Because I knew you were going to be on the podcast. And they <laughs> it the last day to be today. That's, That's so right, awesome man. of them. Shout out to Tricks. <laughs> That's right, man. Today's my last day, and you know I actually made a vouch to my mom, and I was like, "Hey, I'm probably never going to work for another person," and you know, God forbid if anything goes wrong, it's not going to happen with Opa, but. I'm going to be an entrepreneur for the rest of my life. And look at the perfect timing that you're actually on the show, having your first day where you're 100% working for yourself. Yep. And, you know, I've got my uniform on. I'm not wearing a tie and a suit. I'm wearing some ripped jeans like, a, you know, a millennial. And I've got my Opa Polo on and I'm ready to go. Comfortable in your own skin and um, life now. That's right, man. That's right. And, you know, going back to the story, so we all caught COVID and we were all quarantined. And my brother, Teddy, he had a, his like best friend was going out in New York City. And Teddy wanted to buy him a bottle of wine while they were at dinner. And he called the restaurant and they denied his card. Right, because they said security and chargeback issues. Oh wow! So what we did was the next day we called about eighty restaurants, and only five percent of them were willing to take the card over the phone. Right? I have to, so I have to stop you there. What what made you guys even want to call eighty restaurants? So here's why: because that's not a trial and yeah, error. So, that's you guys were hunting. So at the time we were actually working on another business venture together. It was called ResiPro. I'll go high level into it. Basically, it you know my brothers and I, when we were in undergrad, we used to create people's resumes and charge them. So <laughs> we were like, okay, let's just create a database of like a bunch of restaurant uh, resumes, and basically this res uh, ResiPro builder will spit out automatic resumes for people based on the choices that they choose. So we were working on that at the time. And then Teddy was Teddy comes to me and he's like, man, I've got this crazy idea. And I was like, what is it? And he told me the idea. And I was like, that's brilliant. I was like, call William. So Teddy and William, they're twins, right? And he calls William and Will is like, wow, I love it. Right? So was this on the night that you guys try to order the wine or? Yeah, the night we tried to order the wine, he calls us all up. And then the next day, we're, we just went straight into it. That's where the 80, right? 80, 80 restaurant phone calls. Yes, wow. we went straight into quick. it, man. We were, you know, like we were at this point where we felt like we had so much time to build. And I was, I was doing a lot during 2020. I was trading a lot. I was looking at different ways to invest. I was learning a lot. I was reading a lot more. And this is where I said, like, the creative juices started flowing. I got away from the corporate structure of you know, getting up, doing the same routine over and over. It's like walking down an empty hallway. Yep. That's how it was, man. And, uh, you know, like it's COVID. I'm not happy COVID happened, but it opened up a lot of opportunities. Took advantage of a bad time. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, what they say, the best ideas, and they actually said the most millionaires are actually made during hard times and recessions. Yep. So like looking, you know, further down the landscape in six months, uh, you know, if we do hit a recession, I, I see it as an opportunity. 
especially comes out. for us, right? Like, especially for young professionals that are now trying to save up money to buy a home. Mm-hmm. Right now, people can't even afford a mortgage, no. right? Because the home prices are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And now the interest rates are back mm-hmm. up. Yep, yep. So, you know, the idea was formed and uh, we just stuck with it. And my brother, Teddy, so I'll, I'll describe like the dynamic of my brothers. <laughs> Let's right? do it. Um, so Teddy is more so if you have something to get done, he's the executioner, right? He'll get it done. He'll, he's put his mind to it. He's getting it done. Will is, you know, they both come from tech, um, you know, my backgrounds in finance, technology, also sales, but my brothers, their background is in consulting. So Will, he, he's done a lot of like strategy planning, Right, and he's more so. He comes up with the plan, the strategy. Teddy is the execution, and then I'm more so the vision. I add the creative aspect to it. Right, so Teddy created the idea of OPA, but the networking effect, which I'll kind of get more into it. This is such a I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with this whole networking effect yeah. in businesses, but. The networking effect, I didn't know that I was adding the networking effect to the business model up until like a year later that there was a whole topic and subject about network effects. You know, people have studied research, plenty of like white papers on networking effect. And I said, hey, let's have the social aspect of how Venmo, you know, Venmo has, you know, of each transaction being populated on a social timeline. Is that something you guys just thought of on your own? Is there is there some kind of background that made you, you want to follow with that? You know, so for me, I was just like, hey, guys, like, how do we get people to give more, right? And, you know, the, the number one way how you can get people to give more, it's that positive feedback loop, right? So, for example, when people post on social media like instagram you know like whether it's going to the gym or they post nice cars or they post their food right other people are commenting on their post and they're getting that positive feedback loop and that what makes you want to post more More. right reassurance that motivation to just keep doing what's What's getting liked. Exactly. Literally. So I was like, let's add a social aspect to this application where, you know, if I gifted you something, right? If I gifted you something, okay, that's more so like private. You know, you can, we're going to have a feature on the app where you can make it private if you don't want other people to see your transaction and stuff. But how do you actually tap into the viral effect of peer-to-peer gifting? Right. And, you know, Venmo actually did a really good job with this. You know, they I think they they were the first ones to do it and do it successfully. People were going on Venmo to not just pay their friends back or request a gift or request money. They were actually going there to look at the tea. Yeah. Right. See who people are Venmoing. What are they Venmoing each other for? Like, you know, Venmo added the emoji. Yeah, (laughs) man. And I know that that was truly successful because that captivated my mind when I was in college. You know, I would spend time, like, you know, 
going on Venmo and seeing who's Venmoing each other without even knowing. And I was like, hey, let's add that. So this is where the networking effect comes into play. So it, let's say if I gifted you something, that populates Rohan gifted Pete a cocktail at the Robinson. <clears throat> Both of our friends can see who's gifting. And when we launch the app, we're going to have uh, a discover mode for basically everyone on the app around the world or around like the, a, like around a the search state. feature. So think about like Venmo, how you can filter on just your friends or you can filter on like everyone. Yeah. We're going to have it initially where everyone on the app <clears throat> can kind of see your transactions, right? So how it works is, and I'll kind of get into the strategy of this. Um, we're going to be hosting our launch party and it's going to be at the Robinson. And we're going to invite people and we're going to give them a free cocktail to give their friend. And when they gift their friend, <clears throat> it's going to populate on this social timeline. Now you're going to see people in Orlando that you don't know gifting on this social timeline. You'll see their name. You'll see their social profile. And from this point on, you'll be able to add them as a friend or gift them an item at the Robinson. Now... To give you like a, a basis of like network and effect, and I keep saying this word, but I'll tell you the story of Tinder and how Tinder first did a successful launch. And this kind of influenced me to come up with a strategy just like Tinder. So Tinder, when they first launched, it was one of the most successful launches for social applications in history. So what they did when, was... When did they roll out? I want to say Tinder came out in like 2012. Okay. Right? So these guys, they went to, they, they weren't even going to USC, but they went to the local college, USC, and they targeted a college fraternity and they looked for the most social guy on campus, right? Like, you know, uh, the face guy. Yeah, right? yeah. And they went to the face guy and they said, hey, we're going to, we're going to host a party for you, like your birthday party. And we're going to get a mansion and we're going to provide everything and all the liquor, all the booze, food, all of that. You just need to invite all your friends. So what they did was... I thought it was a scam or something. You know, like he was like, wow. You know, okay. like if you're a college kid, you hear free liquor and you, you, someone's hosting your party, you're like, sign me up. Yeah. Okay? So... They hosted the party and they had security guards at every door. And in order for you to get into the party, you just had to do one thing. It was download the Tinder app. Mm. Right? So a total of 300 people downloaded Tinder that day. Now, you may not think that, oh, 300, that's, you know, that, that's minuscule compared to, you know, how many users are on Tinder now. I think they're like, I don't know. I, I don't want to quote, but like I think they're probably like 100, 100 mil. Yeah, I was say probably that, even that. more. Um, but this sparked something called a subatomic network effect. 
So subatomic networking effect is the bare minimum networking effect you need to spark growth. What? Okay. Right? So how this worked was when people went to the party, they weren't using the app. But when they went home the next day, they wanted to see all the people that were at the party. So they went on the app and they saw the utility of the app. Now they were like, I can match with people on this app, right? It was at the time it was like guy and girl, like it didn't matter. Yeah. Just became friends with them on there. So it was less of a dating thing. It was just more of a connection. Yeah, a connection thing. Yeah. So then this caught fire, right? And these kids, and it was, I think, I think when they launched this Tinder, it was around the fall time. And, you know, they had crazy amount of growth, like at USC. People were using it. People were matching with people. People were messaging people. And they were like, crap. Like, you know, it's, it's winter break. What are we going to do when all these college kids are gone? We're not going to get any Anyone. utilization, any active use. It's going to go down. So they were preparing for doomsday. But what had happened was all of these college kids, they went home and they told all of their friends from home. And it spread like and wildfire. it spread like wildfire. And they had the greatest like increase that December to January because of the subatomic effect. Those 300 people downloaded the app and it was the bare minimum that they needed for their application to take off. Now, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, he created a hypothesis. He said that once you add seven friends, you will become a user forever. Uber said once you use the app once, you'll be a Uber forever, right? And... You know, for o- Opa, like at the time, like I look back at it retrospectively a year and a half ago, I wasn't even thinking like this, but I was just like, hey, how how would I utilize this app a lot more? Yeah. So we added that social timeline where you can give someone directly on the application. You can see where your friends are checking in on the app and you can give them right there. And then on top of that, another social aspect that we're adding that's going to be supreme and i think it's going to be i think it's going to it's actually i this is my hypothesis um i think this is going to be the number one way our app is going to grow and it's going to keep growing is the gift to a stranger feature that we're going to be launching in you know hopefully in the in in the fall i was going to say that earlier so the gift to a stranger so here's how it works is Let's say, Pete, you walk into the Robinson and you check in on the OpenLink app. You can actually go on something called Discover Mode and you can see who else is checked in on the OpenLink app. Everyone has a social profile and you can actually you know, scroll and gift a cocktail to anyone at the bar or restaurant and they can accept or deny your gift if they accept it almost like blind dating at the restaurant without one of them actually being there yeah it's hybrid hybrid dating right there so like you know think about it if you see a cute girl at the bar and you know like a lot of people some people don't have the confidence to go up to people or you just like you know it's just not the right setting for you to like go up to her and ask her but 
she's actually on the discover mode. So number one, you know someone wants to get approached, right? Think about how many, That's so true, many too. times that if you being like a, you know, if you're a single guy in the dating scene, you don't know who wants to get approached. Yeah, you know, and sometimes these girls don't even want you to buy them a drink. You know, they're okay, right? But on the Overlink app, if they're on discover mode, they're open to a conversation over a drink. So you buy them a drink, they accept it, and it actually goes to in-person messaging. Okay. So now now you get to – it actually builds or starts something because that's normally how connections usually start anyway, you know, uh, whether you already know them or not, but it's over a drink. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the most common uh, used pickup or first date or first hangout or a meeting. Uh, nowadays for us, you know, it's more drinks yep. instead of dinner. Uh, so that's kind of how that can grow or because now there's more to it. Mm-hmm. That's just like the initial uh, connection between the two people. But now you guys also are building more behind that. Yeah. And I, I love that you said the word connection, right? Um, so OpaLink means open means to celebrate in Greek and link means to connect. And our you know logo is actually a chain link. And our whole thing is celebrations inspire connections so every time you're out celebrating or networking or meeting people you're connecting right whether it's you're out having dinner or you're out at the bar or lounge i can't tell you how many connections i've made for my business just being out yeah you know especially being in the hospitality industry i've met so many operators i've met so many people that have worked in nightlife and worked at restaurants and i've learned so much just by being out and socializing and making connections i've made some good friends going out so that's what opa is all about right celebrations inspire connections we're here to inspire connections right um think about you going out and you know instead of on the typical dating apps it probably has you know you're single or whatever but what if you can add there your what do you what your occupation is and think about if you're an investor right and my title on my app would be co-founder of opalink but think about if there's an investor that also has the opalink app and he walks into a restaurant and he wants to see who else is checked in there and he sees co-founder of opalink and he wants to connect and just figure out what the heck is opalink right he sends you a drink and then you, you accept it and or it can be a woman or whatever and you begin messaging them and you have a conversation there. So it's like more than just dating. Yeah. Right? It's just inspiring that human connection. And it's almost I mean, you even see like the little trends of going through drive throughs and just paying for the Starbucks for someone behind, even if it's just out of a, a kindness. The whole time I'm thinking of it, it's like every once in a while you know, you're like, hey, I want to give back to someone and just kind of make their day. Some random person out of the blue. But, you know, it's one of those things that you feel good about making someone else's day. And, I mean, something like that, you're just like, hey, you know, let me see who's in X, Y, or Z place because it's one of my favorite places. And, boom, here's a here's a little drink. Here's a little mm-hmm. gift. That person got something from someone random. Mm-hmm. Which usually, I mean, I think that's a, a good feeling to get. Like, hey, someone actually took the time out of their day to buy me a drink and they don't even know me yeah and that alone is just uh 
there's more to it than I think than even just dating or business. I think there's even like that uh, giving back to each other. Yeah, and you know it's funny that like if you think about it, what's happening there? It's peer to peer. It's a peer to peer interaction, and the P to P industry has a CAGR of growing at like forty percent, right? And if you think about it, my brother Teddy, he actually worked for Robinhood. And I think it was like a year into us working on OPA and their chief product officer at Robinhood announced that they were actually launching gifting crypto and gifting stocks, right? And she described gifting as an analog reaction, right? So the main selling point on how she was talking about gifting and peer-to-peer interactions Right? Gifting of stock, gifting of crypto is I can gift you five shares of Apple. Right. And let's say if you've never you've never, you know, you've never traded before in your life because it was intimidating or, you know, you really didn't have the capital. But if someone gifted you that, you're gonna wanna learn about those five shares of Apple. Yeah. You're gonna wanna learn more about investing because now you're in sense an investor yeah right so it's that recommendation that she was really harping on like hey this can be a spark to actually get more people to invest right because it'll spark a curiosity now it gets them past that initial fear of fear phase which i mean even with kind of this with entrepreneurs kind of like hey Someone already maybe helped me take that leap or did it for me. All of a sudden, it's like, well, now I'm already in. So yep. what else? Yep. And, you know, like uh, to bring it back to Opa, let's say if you've never, I'm just assuming this, never had Indian food, right? And food. you love Indian food. <laughs> Perfect. But let's say if you never had Indian food because maybe you think it's too spicy or you've just never had it, right? And some people are a little intimidated on trying something new, mm-hmm. right? But maybe they'll be willing to try something new if it's on someone else's dime. Yeah. Right? So I can more People so... People always say the best things are the free things. Yes, that's right. So if I gifted you a chicken tikka masala and you've never had that before, you're probably going to be more than likely to try that out because it's free food. Yeah. And you'll go in, redeem it, and then check other things out on their menu. Yeah, because people... Some people don't want to try anything at all, but a lot of it is a lot of people don't want to spend money to chance lose it to for it to just not be what they like. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it's free, that's why they do free samples at grocery stores. That's right. It's the hook. Yep. It's that hook that catches you. It's that one last thing. Yep. Wow. And you, a big thing, it's almost going back all the way to the start, but one of my favorite things that I've already heard you talk about was compared to the Uber Eats or the Dine... I don't even know all those apps because I stopped using them. But uh, it's so uh, focused on just the users or the customers, and it does hurt the businesses. Where on what you're doing is supporting both. It's, hey, we're supporting the people and the peer-to-peer, but we're also making sure that it's only helping businesses and not hurting them, um, which is the big thing on why I stopped using Uber Eats is, yeah, it's beneficial for me, but I know what it's – what is the back-end pain for the business? Uh, and obviously, I don't want to support something that's also hurting a business because that's 
I think that's, I mean, that's how our society runs. Yeah, and, and you know, for us, like our main priority, if you know, it's going to be our restaurant operators. It's going to make sure that they have a smooth, beautiful, well-designed tool, marketing tool to grow their business. Right? Then the number one aspect that we're doing for these, uh, for our, our restaurant partners, is we're increasing their total available market. So essentially what that means is, you know, you're gaining a customer in New York City that you could have never had being a brick and mortar in Orlando. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, you have family and friends all across the world and they're able to gift you something at your local coffee shop or local restaurant here in Orlando. Yeah. Number two is we're increasing on-premises experiences. So your foot traffic, you know. A lot of restaurants, because of COVID, consumers were so used to these food delivery applications that they weren't even filling up restaurants anymore. Yeah. So think about as a restaurant owner where you're prioritizing the experience and you have that pride and joy of like, this is my storefront. I've put so much into it. I've put so much into it. And, and you know, we were talking about this earlier. A lot of operators, they're focusing on the overall experience yeah right the smell that's what people want now. The, the yes the 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 vibe the instagrammable pictures that people can take yeah. right and um i think that's what opa's mainly focused on we're focused on getting people back out to the restaurants it's right? actually really cool because so much of social media is taking people away from peer-to-peer mm-hmm. and off uh, actual physical sense it's connected people so well that people almost are losing that interest to be out and about with people face to face uh this kind of gets to mesh both of those worlds into one mm-hmm. yep and you know like and going back to social media right and it's it's such a powerful tool um number one you know imagine us telling our parents 10 years ago that they're able to actually send a drink or food item virtually, you know, that would go over their head. Right. But now, you know, you just like your podcast, our voice, we could spread this worldwide. Yeah. Right. And it's that social networking effect. And it's people like you that are content creators and people like you, you're that 1%. Right. So how the pyramid, the CEO of Snapchat actually laid this out perfectly. He actually said that on the bottom of uh, of a pyramid, right, you have the people that use Snapchat just to communicate and communicate with compassion. So they're snapping one another and that's how they're communicating. In the middle, you have the Instagram users that are more so posting on their stories, whether it's the cars, the clothes, um, you know, they're posting, they're, and they're probably only doing cool things once or twice a week. So they're only posting like a couple times a week, but they're having people comment and, you know, they're constantly posting. And that's the middle, and that's about 10% of the users. And then you've got the real creators, right, at the top of the pyramid, where I would consider you, you've got the people creating podcasts, creating YouTube videos, 
and creating TikToks, right? Now, TikTok creators, the reason why they're kind of at the top there is because they're actually spending time learning these TikTok dances, spending time telling a story in a creative way, yeah. creative manner. Like, that takes time. Yeah. Man, I was trying to use and TikTok. It almost takes a, it takes a skill. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it takes a skill set, though. Which is, I hate saying, <laughs> um, but I know it takes a skill because I don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> So I have to bring some on. <laughs> yeah. And hey, like, you know, um, people don't realize TikTok's going to be the name of the game for businesses. Marketing of your business, like there's not going to be an, another tool that's as powerful as TikTok in the years to come. You know, I, I definitely see Facebook is phasing off with our generations. That's true. Right. So almost to an older generation. Yes. And millennials now, we were considered hip with the Instagram, right? Gen Zs, they're purely on TikTok, Mm -hmm. right? Now, Opalink, we're trying to capture the Gen Zs and millennials, right? And we're going to business owners and we're saying, how do you get more Gen Zs and millennials to spend money at your restaurant? Well, guess what? Gen Zs and millennials, guess what they're doing? They're on their phone 24-7, right? Millennials actually have the highest mobile phone use. Gen Zs are going to surpass them just because millennials, there's more millennials right now than Gen Zs, right? But with the increased usage of cell phones, you being a restaurant owner that's only taking orders on a pen and paper, right? (laughs) And not utilizing new tech infrastructure to promote sales and people to actually purchase i hate to use the word gamify but to actually purchase more items you're gonna fall behind right and with quickly with opa with opa we're targeting the gen z's and millennials we're making the application very fun we're gonna have emojis where you're on the application and you're gifting and you know i gift you a cocktail and you see a espresso martini cocktail that I gifted you at the Robinson. So we're really making it social, convenient, and fun, right? And that's like the OPA, we call it like the OPA lifestyle. Right? And that's what a lot of people like, not just what they're doing, but if they can make it in a f- more fun way, all of a sudden it's their favorite thing to do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. H- how, do you, uh, how do you end up hooking these restaurants to be a part of it? Yeah, perfect. So um, that's where my role kind of comes into play. So. I'm more so doing the sales and marketing and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be uphill battle when it comes to getting these restaurant partners onboarded. Um, It's going to be basically door-to-door sales because a lot of restaurant operators and owners, they're not on emails, man. So cold emailing them, maybe cold calling will schedule you a meeting, but to actually like get them on board you gotta just show up you gotta show up man with a beautiful smile and you know tell them the your your dream sell them the dream and show them the product and also probably make them feel different than how uber eats and all those uh apps made them feel because mm-hmm. uh, i don't know of too many restaurants that really love uh those apps they know one it's necessary now uh, and obviously it builds more business, but it also costs a lot of headaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if there's a, an app that's coming out, you have to differentiate from those 
because yours is going to be, hey, we're actually helping you as well in a real way, mm-hmm. not just that, hey, we're bringing more customers, but yep. we're going to run you dry. No, and that's what happens, and it, it takes away, you know, a lot of restaurant owners, and not only just like the, the, the pay, the bottom line, but you're taking away from restaurant owners' pride and joy of having people a full restaurant. Yeah. You know, like for the first time, you know, because of the pandemic, but like, you know, in a lot of cities ex- except or states excluding Florida, where we don't have as many um, restrictions, you don't see restaurants at full capacity how they used to be. Right? I went to New York in, I want to say the uh, November, December of 2020. Nice. And that was not nice. No. Uh, <laughs> I mean, as a person that loves businesses and wants to support them, yeah. nothing was more heartbreaking and devastating than walking around New York and during that time. Because wow. all I see is shut down. Uh, and I was with someone that lived there. Wow. So they're like also pointing out restaurants that have been there for 20, 30, 40, 50 years wow. as like these staples of New York City. And now they're shut down completely. And wow. I was like, just like, fuck. Like that's, you could be around it's like life, right? You can be around for so long and feel like you're undestructible, but all of a sudden, all it takes is that one moment, something like that, and it, it's tough, man. That was a that was a tough thing. Yeah, and you know, restaurant owners they're still feeling that, right? They're still feeling the repercussions of you um, people not being able to fully go to their restaurant, but it's getting better. So Deloitte actually did a study, and in peak of COVID, I think it was around the summertime of COVID, um, 31% of consumers actually felt comfortable going out to eat. In February of 2022, that number increased to around 70%. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, like you know, people want to get back out there, right? And we go to restaurant owners and we tell them, like, hey, like, how do you capitalize this? Like, how do you grow your business even more? And with OPA, you know, where I, I honestly think OPA is going to be um, the new standard of dining. It's going to be that new virtual dining. And, you know, if you want to, it's going to be that new way of connecting with people. It goes, it goes back to the over Sims. Over food and drinks. Yeah. That Sims thing in second grade. Yep. This is it. That was it, man. I looked at it and I saw that CEO made the highest hourly rate, and I was like, "That's that's what I want to be." And what's what's cool about it is it's almost like, hey, you know, COVID hurt in such a big way in a certain aspect or a certain way, and then now everyone wants like they've been locked in cages, kind of vibe feel, and they want to go back out. Mm -hmm. But now a lot of people lost a little bit of that social comfortability. Because some of them were, you know, locked down for a year longer, at least held back. Uh, and then now, being stuck that longer, that far removed, all of a sudden, maybe everyone needs that little extra push or that push. little extra help. And then this is kind of that way of getting right back into that social game, too. And you hit it spot on. Because I don't know about you, but in 2020, I, I, I think it affected my social skills, too. Yeah. Like when I was first starting to go back out and go back to restaurants, I kind of found it hard having conversations where it used to be easy. Because there's also like question marks of like, can I go talk to them? Mm-hmm. Because now there's also oh, yeah. those little 
uncomfortable is like, do they even want me to be within six feet yeah. of them? Or uh, it's true, man. Yeah, it's true. So, so um, you know, what's your? I guess I'm gonna flip the question on you. All right. So, what's your goals and aspirations of this podcast? You know, like, uh, as for the podcast, you know, it's one of those things where. I wanted to focus on our own community first. And I think the connection between, you know, customers, people, uh, just the community in general to their local businesses, I think there's so much to that that uh, I feel like hasn't been connected between the two enough, right? Uh, People go and shop or buy from businesses, but all they really know is that's a business that's up and running, uh, but they don't really know that story behind it. These businesses don't, they have a soul, but it's hidden. Right, it's never shown to the public, uh, and I think bringing on a podcast like this, we're gonna start getting to share the real soul, the real heart and mind of these businesses and how they started up, uh, and kind of building something within. So I wanted uh, Central Florida to kind of obviously get the first grasp of it um, and kind of help where I, you know, I was born and raised. Uh, but I do want to expand to Florida to do all of Florida because uh, there is so much out there from. Tampa, Jacksonville, Miami, West Palm, all of it. Um, and then I think once we get enough traction, even within our own community here, it's kind of like, hey, we did this together and hopefully expand when it goes to Florida, then Orlando can kind of look at it like, hey, we started this thing. This is a, this only made it to all of Florida because of us. And it's like a little sense of pride. Um, but my ultimate goal is to make it where it's from Florida to then where I can travel and go city to city all around the country and spotlight some of my uh, most interesting startups that I hear from those cities themselves uh, and kind of just focus on connecting each city's community with their local startups that you know have these great stories that can't be shared one-on-one because everyone's too busy to hear stories individual uh, and if I can give a platform for them to share their whole story and everyone gets to hear, I think there's kind of like with OPA, it builds a connection that we're maybe missing. Uh, yeah. And I think that's something that I find always important because, you know, people come and go. But when you build real connections to things, those are the ones that normally stay around. Yeah, no, I love that. And you know what? I, I'm excited to listen about your journey as well with your co-founder of your business and you know, uh, I get excited. The number one, the number one way that keeps me motivated to keep going, are those stories. Yeah. Right. It's like, hey, I've been through that, and wow, they've they've been through this, and even worse, and they've were actually able to recover and rebound and get to that next level. It's it's so easy starting up a, a something as crazy as a business, and then feeling. Like you're only visioning your own movie, mm-hmm. right? So everything feels like this is the worst that could happen or this is the most difficult obstacle. And then you start hearing about other people going through their journeys and then you're like, holy shit, maybe I, I had it a little more easy than I thought. Uh, and then it almost gives you extra motivation because yeah. it's like, damn, if these entrepreneurs can get through worse, maybe I wasn't even going through that much, but I think I already went through the worst that could happen to me. Yeah. Well, well, fuck, if they could do it, like, yeah. let's keep going. Let's and that keep motivates you because, yeah. like, you know, I don't know about you, but as real as this is, some days I feel the best 
And then some days I'm like, man, this is all going to fail. Yep. And I'm sad. And I have to quickly bounce out of that. And I think that that happens way more often than the, you know, outsiders, I guess, or the, you know, other side of it all. They Like, that's a real thing. Like, I don't know how many times one little aspect of the business comes up and I'm like, it could be like, this is the best fucking thing ever. Awesome. Or it could be, well, this is crashing and burning. I'm, I'm fucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's just crazy how much of a roller coaster it is, and it yeah. makes it more real for others to hear it, and also for us to hear others, you know, growing this, these things. So, mm-hmm. yep. And you know, I think, I think that's what your platform is going to serve as. It's going to be more so like a motivational. Uh, it's good uh, to me. I get the greatest amount of motivation. So I was, you know reading that book uh the networking effect and talking about like how companies rebound and how companies get to the top and you know i don't know if you're familiar with the tool slack yeah 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 Yeah, so slack is a a messaging platform that people use to collaborate with their colleagues slack actually started out as a video game company wow they did the craziest rebound they were on the brink of going under and closing shop and basically what slack did was they created a video game and the video game they grew they were able to get so many users they were able to raise a lot of funding and they were getting it was hot it was a hot tech startup and you know it was a hot video game that people were downloading but when people downloaded the um the game they realized that the only thing that you can do is click on stuff and you know you can't really do anything else but so it was like a shitty game it was a shitty game <laughs> but the slack engineers what they did was they actually created an internal tool and um this internal tool was what they were using to communicate with one another right and it was just a standard tool that they were using to communicate with one another and the ceo and the co-founder they were at the point where they were closing everything and they realized that it was right there in front of their face they were like we've got to pivot they're about to drive right into a wall yes and people don't hear these stories right you think about slack you're like wow such a successful such a successful uh business you know they're one of the growing SaaS companies out there now but people don't hear that story and i you know would love to hear that i loved reading about it but i would love to even listen to that co-founder talk about it themselves imagine listening to them coming on this show and actually talking about their stories like that that would be amazing i remember reading when uh about febreze which i feel like everyone knows yeah at least knows if not has has it or bought it at least once and if i remember correctly they went like a year where just they were not making any money wow and they were just under and they were they're gonna lose it all and then they actually did something a little different they studied habits and said hey we need to create a habitual mindset for when people use febreze and if we can turn it into the trifecta where you obviously will create do the habit itself or do the action but then there's a result at the end so then they started kind of pitching it in a way of, hey, once you're once it's all cleaned, then you Febreze. 
And it used to, they started pitching it as a cleaning supply. Yeah. And people were like, we don't need any more cleaning Clean supplies. supplies. But if they clean their whole house, which no one really likes to do, it's like, it's work. But if you can spray something, this is like your final result or like yeah. what a cigarette is to smokers, right? They get that little uh, relief, no matter what it is. They take one hit of a cigarette, that habit of, ah, uh, there's that result. That's that dessert. Uh, then they said, hey, let's let's pitch it as Febreze spraying on wow. furniture after it's clean. It's like the cherry then, on yep, top. Correct. And then wow. boom. Then it's it took true. off from nothing. I, I don't even – I can't even – I didn't even think about that, but yeah, I don't Febreze before I start sweeping and mopping. It's only I after. use it after. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So the the big way I like to wrap it up, um, what kind of tip or um, yeah, what would be the top tip that you would give any entrepreneur that wants to start something that's in that uh, hesitation uh, phase of life? My number one thing is. Keep your product as simple and concise as possible, Mm. right? So your solution should solve a major problem and it should be simple and concise, right? The one – and the reason why I'm saying this is because we learned from this, right? When we first created OPA, this cost us a lot of money, a lot of time. We overloaded, it was our first time, you know, we didn't know. We overloaded our mobile app with a bunch of features. Too much for a user. Too much. And they got overwhelmed. Yeah. We had reservations in there. We had in-person um, contactless dining, splitting orders, all of that. And the gifting. And we realized, like, this just caused so much complexity, operational costs, time, to develop and it set us back but we learned from that right and we learned that hey the best way to actually introduce a product is keeping it clear and concise and simple yep. and just start you know that that would be my second advice just just start but make sure you start with planning yep first comes with planning but your idea is nothing without planning and execution executions and keep it simple yep and so a second question i also want to ask if you were giving advice to an entrepreneur that already started uh their venture and is still in that in the weeds at that very initial stage what advice would you give at that time patience Mm, you know like like a lot of people and i've noticed with a lot you know my peers they hop into something you know they have that momentum right and then all of a sudden maybe they have they get sick or maybe work picks up their day job picks up or maybe they go on vacation and they're not getting that instant gratification just gonna say that if you didn't (laughs) and man like they just quit and you ask them they're like hey what happened to this business oh i'm on to something new Right. The number one thing that, look, I, right now I know for sure I'm never going back to corporate, but I've got, I've got two different business ideas. I've got one of them I can actually start earning money tomorrow, 
and actually hit six figures off of this business. And the idea. I'll sign up right now. <laughs> uh, Shark Tank, though. I'm in. <laughs> I have a business idea. I can literally open up shop tomorrow and start earning six figures. But I'm going to stay consistent on Opalink because Kobe, Kobe Ryan said this perfect. And this is something that I – this is one of my favorite quotes by him. He said, pick something and focus on that one thing. For Kobe, all he ate, bread, dreamed, lived was basketball, right? He focused on that one thing. And I think a lot of people, they get distracted. Especially how easy it is nowadays too. Mm -hmm. Master of none, jack of all trades. Like, you know, that doesn't really get you anywhere, right? Um, I mean, Shaq actually said the opposite. He said, you know, Shaq is a DJ, he's a basketball player, he's a cop, he does all these kind of things. But Shaq initially was just basketball. Was just basketball. Mm-hmm. So you focus on that one thing and then you do that one thing and you do it very well. It'll open up so much more free time later on in your life that, hey, I can grow up and I can be a chef. And all the experience that yes. you gain and seeing what works, that kind of drive and I mean, even for them in basketball, I'm sure they had plenty of times uh, where they didn't make a team or they were made fun of or they were, you know, I know Shaq was way too big. Yep. I'm pretty sure he got, uh, uh, he didn't make the team his first year in high school. Mm-hmm. And I think Michael Jordan the same way. Mm-hmm. I think he was cut in high school as well. Uh, and then that's, I mean, that's also life. And then that's also business starting it up. You have to, you have to learn as many lessons the hard way, but keep going on that path and then you'll see everything flourish after that yeah you just push through it i mean you want to fail right but you want to fail fast fail learn and move forward fail learn move forward and keep that a repeated cycle but you want to fail quick right like you want to test your assumptions and your hypothesis quick you don't want to wait on things and you know um that's kind of why like now i I planned, we executed on that plan, and I made a plan to exit my exit strategy of my nine to five job, which I was completely blessed with. You know, it helped us bootstrap the business initially, get it going. But I planned for this exact moment, even to be on this podcast. Man. This, yeah. <laughs> Maybe this was even a little better than even expected. For, That's right. For man. both of us. That's I think right. That's awesome. That's right. Well, hey, man, thanks for coming on. I actually. Uh, I'm going to give a little kudos to you as well because I thought this might be one of my hardest episodes because me and my tech world, uh, we don't exist in the same universe. So uh, to have such a cool story and uh, mind kind of speaking with you, this was by far one of my favorites. So thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. Thank you. And I really appreciate you having me here and it was super comfortable um, I'm just getting used to podcasts as well. And, um, you know, my favorite podcast at, at the time was uh, Robin Hood Snacks. And they always <laughs> said the best one yet. So they actually rebranded to the best one yet. But I think this is my favorite podcast so far. That's dope. Well, yeah, thanks, The man. best one yet. <laughs> uh, before we go, though, give a, give a little shout out to everyone with your Instagram. Make sure you give your app. Uh, so everyone can start downloading it. Yes, sir. So it's uh, Opalink app on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, and uh, we will be launching soon. So please follow our social media, 
for information about our launch and upcoming launch in Orlando. We're actually going to be launching at the Robinson. Um, and yeah, we're excited. Well, shoot us an invite and a drink. Yes. Uh, and then we'll be there. All righty. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks, bud. That's